everybody. Welcome to Faithful. That's with two L's. But you already knew that because you're listening right now. Hello. Welcome. Hi, uh, I'm Christina. And I'm Emma. Uh, And Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the infamous Detroit Become Human and the Christ allegories within. And I hope that there's enough stuff here that sparks discussion. I'm not really sure, but I think it'll be a good discussion, no matter how long it is. Uh, For context here, um, obviously this is is a topic that Emma wanted to talk about, uh, because I personally have never even played a Detroit Become Human before. Yeah. Um, I've watched the clip that uh, Emma's probably going to be talking about in a lot of detail, (laughs) and... uh, I, when I mentioned to one of my coworkers today that you were going to be talking about this, mm-hmm. uh, she just sat there and said, oof, <laughs> a whole lot. Oh. So this is going to be interesting. Yeah, I should probably uh, disclaimer that I haven't played the game myself, but I've watched people play the game, and I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of the different outcomes, and I did a lot of um, research, like reading um, professional reviews and the Detroit Become Human subreddit and watching clips from... Uh, specifically we're going to be talking about marcus's storyline which we'll get into what that means in a second um but yeah i've tried to educate myself as much as i can so i'm not like making any rash decisions Mm -hmm. and uh you know harsh judgments or whatever but uh i think we've established that this game deserves it (laughs) either way (laughs) oh man um i would like to politely ask that you uh give me the premise of Detroit Become Human because I think I read it at some point and I don't really remember. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, um, I don't have this written down, so bear with me. Uh, You're fine. (laughs) But, so basically, the, um, whole idea of Detroit Become Human is that, uh, it's, um, it's, it's like a a choose-your-own-adventure sort of thing where Mm -hmm. you have, uh, three separate characters and you follow their arcs as they go along, like, switching chapter to chapter, you switch whose perspective you're playing from, and, um, you know, by the end of it, they all kind of merge together, but to start out with, they're separate. Uh, mm-hmm. There's um, Marcus's storyline, which is who we're going to talk about. He um, becomes, like, the rebellion leader, the android rebellion leader, um, and uh, the most problematic character, probably. <laughs> okay, okay. So we'll come back to him. Yeah. Um, the second character is um, an android named Kara, who is like a, like a house servant, and it follows her and this little girl. Oh, what is her name? Alice. Alice, that's it. Yeah. So it follows um, uh, Kara and Alice, who's this little girl. Um, and I'm not really going to talk about her too much. Just know that it was pretty misogynistic a lot, and there were also a lot of racist bits in her bit. It's fine. <laughs> Okay. Um, but the most like beloved um, storyline is uh, Connor, who is, is an android uh, like detective, um, okay. and people love his arc the most because um, the actor that was playing him was really good, and um, his sort of like uh, partner in that whole part was also very good. Um, and if you know somebody who's into Detroit Become Human, they're only into Connor, and they do not give a crap about anything else in that game. I promise. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like that's I feel like my coworker mentioned Connor at some point today, but I don't really remember. It was a weird day at work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I think most people have kind of you know Detroit Become Human is not exactly like hot in the news right now, but I do know a couple mm-hmm. people who are still 
very into it and it's just the Connor thing. But that's okay. And that's fine. <laughs> and you know what? Being able to throw away the rest of a garbage game and just look at the one part that you like and write fan fiction about him and another man kissing. That's so great. I'm so happy for you that you can do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but anyway, so like, and the story of Detroit Become Human is that um, this is in the future where uh, androids help um, humans do pretty much every single every, everyday task. Like there's housekeepers, babysitters, um, just like assistants for the elderly, detectives, cops, like they're like every single profession. And um, there's sort of this like unrest where the people like humans who are like who used to have those kind of jobs are losing Mm -hmm. a lot of their jobs and so they're very upset at the androids and you know don't and treat them like they're less than them yes and so like and it's very obvious like from the start of the game that uh david cage the like writer and director on the whole thing was really trying to draw from like the civil rights movement and Mm -hmm. uh, like the struggle of black people in America. And it's just so ham fisted and (laughs) crazy. Like there's, yeah, we'll get into it more with Marcus because he's the biggest, the worst offender with the whole thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's why it's um, problematic in most people's eyes. Um, Mm -hmm. And people have talked about that at length, but what I kind of wanted to talk about was um, the like, fact that Marcus is a Christ allegory in the story. Okay. And, like, how it was just, like, I don't think that it was really deserved, and it's also kind of ham-fisted, and just, like, I thought we could talk about, like, how exactly that went, and why it didn't work, and other Christ allegories that also didn't work, or maybe other ones that did, so. Okay. Let's see what happens, I guess. Yeah, shoot. Okay, so, um... I'm just going to walk through Marcus's storyline and hit all of the kind of uh, points that I saw. So Mm -hmm. Marcus's story starts with, so he is an assistant to um, this elderly painter in Detroit uh, named Carl Manfred. And uh, Carl is like the celebrated painter, um, but, uh, and he needs Marcus to help him out because he's older and he's um, in a wheelchair and like all Mm -hmm. this sort of stuff. Um, But... At some point in, like, the first chapter, uh, Carl's, um, like, estranged son kind of breaks into his, um, like, painter space. Uh, his studio? His studio, yes, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> that's the word. <laughs> um, breaks into his studio and demands that uh, his dad give him money um, because he's out of it and he needs to buy alcohol. <laughs> that's not really what he says, but it, you can read it between the lines that that's what he wants to do with the money. Um, so prodigal son, yes, prodigal son <laughs> and Carl, who has been supporting him in the past says, no, I can't keep giving you money that you're just going to throw away on nothing. Like you just need to go fend for yourself. That's it. And, um, his son gets very upset and uh, attacks him. And as Marcus, you have the choice to either, you know, like push, uh, his son away or, oh, it's, or not do anything, I think. Because, okay. yeah, because Carl is, like, telling you not to attack. Because if you do, then the android's going to get blamed for everything. And he's just going to end up getting in trouble, getting, like, dismantled for hurting another person. Uh, but uh, I think, like, the right decision, I say in air quotes, because 
it's a choose your own adventure game, but there's mm-hmm. certain stuff you need to do to get to the end. <laughs> the right one for the story that we are talking about today. Yes. Uh, he does end up like pushing Leo away. That, that's the son. His name is Leo. Um, okay. Pushing the son away and getting in trouble uh, for hurting another human. And he ends up getting uh, like arrested and dismantled and thrown into a dump <laughs> with a bunch of other android parts. Great. Yeah, it's awesome. And so that would be where maybe Jesus died. <laughs> okay. Because he's, you, um, like that scene cuts away, you go through a couple more chapters, come back, Marcus is in the mud, he only has like, uh, like one leg and like his arms or something like that. He's like, just really a shell of a person. He's missing an eye, like part of, like his, um, like auditory um like whatever is in his head that lets him hear things isn't there so in the game you can't hear anything and this is weird like just staticky noise okay and he has to uh like walk around and find different parts from the other androids that are like discarded in this dump to fix himself okay um and eventually you have to work really hard he like climbs up this like muddy uh hill and uh you know, gets like disgusting and it takes a really long time and he str- stumbles, but then he gets up to the top of it and he finds this coat that's just perfectly hanging on this piece of metal that's sticking out of the ground. <laughs> okay. A very cool coat and he puts it on and now he's a deviant, which is what is it's called when like an android realizes, like has some sort of like awakening. Um, when they become autonomous. <laughs> Yeah, it's when they become human, as the title would suggest. Okay. Womp womp. Yeah, and so he is, you know, he's on the run, he's got just a bunch of different parts in him, and uh, he hears from this other android that there's this place called Jericho, a very unsubtle biblical reference. (laughs) Yeah. Are the walls going to come tumbling down? Yeah. Right? Um, so, and they hear that Jericho is this, like, haven for androids who have become deviant and run away from whatever their job was. And so he goes to find Jericho and, uh, through a bunch of stuff that happens, becomes, like, the leader of Jericho. He, like, there he comes there and there's just a bunch of, like, broken androids. Um, they're, like, they don't have enough, like, of their, like, Uh, fuel to keep going a lot of them are dying and Mm -hmm. nobody's really doing anything about it he finds out that instead of being this like um this like safe haven this like perfect place for androids it's really just this like disgusting old uh like ship from like a harbor that hasn't been used in forever and they're just waiting there to die basically hiding from the humans so that they don't have to do work anymore but they're not living at all Mm -hmm. and so he goes on this huge thing to um get some more parts for them and help them, gains their trust and becomes like the leader of Jericho and eventually the leader of the entire like android revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where it starts like just copy pasting from like <laughs> black history and like the civil rights movement. Yikes. There's this one part where and I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but this is where I'm going to start just talking about why this is bad. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, he... Like, one of the options, you can say, 
like somebody's like it's like oh the revolution's going so bad like i what are we supposed to do like whatever and he's like i had a dream and this is what you get for dreaming isn't it or something like that and it's like womp womp wow oof (laughs) you really did that one huh um but um the the scene that really got me um like obviously i saw all of the like uh pretty like racist like undertones to it all but like the part that got me as like a christian was the scene where marcus has just done this big demonstration he just broke a bunch of androids out of this like basically like an apple store but for androids Mm -hmm. broke them all out of there and using his like special powers that nobody else has which uh he like touches them and says like you're free now and then they awaken somehow he like flips a switch in their brain that makes them think that they are that makes them become human okay uh with no sort of like internal struggle at all there's no like it's like hey you can fall like this is what i think this is like this is what i've come to believe as an android my like i've awakened this is with my struggle but he just touches them he's like you're free and they're like oh yeah absolutely that's Mm -hmm. definitely it now and through this like whole scene he eventually like goes out into the streets and starts like walking he walks down the very middle of the street Mm -hmm. and first he's touching other androids to say like hey you're free and they come away from like there's this one lady who was uh rolling a stroller Mm -hmm. uh and he takes her and brings her into his like uh growing like uh following of androids okay um and eventually his reach just starts to grow and grow and he doesn't even have to touch them anymore he just has to kind of gesture to them and they'll come his way and then eventually he doesn't even have to gesture anymore he's just like pulling them all in like with his power they just like realize that he is the you know the chosen one they're like messiah and start following him and it's kind of hard to explain when you haven't like played the game beat for beat yeah like i'm just telling you a kind of a crash course Mm -hmm. of what happened but like the scene was not earned at all and felt yeah. super ham-fisted, especially in the context of, like, he's already, like, David Cage is already copy-pasting stuff from, like, the civil rights movement and, like, mm-hmm. black struggles and, like, it just, knowing that he did that with that, it's super easy to see that he just copy-pasted stuff from, like, the Bible and, like, uh, you know, just biblical allegories to fit this character and somehow try to make him interesting when he's really not. <laughs> I can add in uh, a fun fact um, yeah. that I might end up cutting. Um, uh, David Cage is, uh, first off, he's definitely a white man. Mm-hmm. Um, he is uh, uh, he is actually French. Okay. Uh, and he identifies as an atheist. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Like, there is absolutely nothing wrong with atheism. This is just maybe an example of what happens if you are trying to evoke uh, religious and faithful symbolism without really doing any research into why it works Mm. or how it works. Absolutely, yeah. It's like... It's... Just, like... It's frustrating... Because, like, you can do, like, I mean, like, Christ allegories are in 
a lot of media. Like, oh, I would yes. say even the majority of media, you can find a Christ allegory in. And I think that's just because it's just, like, such a fundamental story mm-hmm. that people have heard for their entire lives. Even if they weren't, like, raised Christian, yeah. like, they understand that story. And it moves people. Mm-hmm. I think, like <laughs> to uh, to spoil maybe a little bit of the next episode of Faithful, it, oh, sure, it ties yeah. into the heroic monomyth, <laughs> just like yeah. the the chosen one narrative that is carried across every nation, every culture, every religion, every faith. Mm-hmm. Nine, I would say ninety. 90% of fictional narratives are about the chosen one mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. capacity, whether it's, you know, in this case meant to be a, like, a savior of the world, or whether mm-hmm. it's just, you know, hey, it's Harry Potter. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, I was thinking of, like, while I was doing some research, I was like, okay, so, like, a character just being a Christ allegory has been done. Like, mm-hmm. Aslan... From Narnia is just Jesus. That's just a fact. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But for some reason, that works so much better than this one, where Marcus really doesn't have that much going for him besides the fact that, like, he's an allegory for Christ and he's an allegory for Black struggles and civil rights. And Mm -hmm. that's really all he has. And it made me wonder, and I didn't really come up with an answer, like, why it worked for, like, Aslan Mm -hmm. and why it didn't work for Marcus. From my perspective, having read the Chronicles of Narnia several times and seen the movie a couple, Mm -hmm. um, and never having played Detroit Become Human, uh, I feel (laughs) like maybe part of it is because with with Aslan, uh, we get to, like, the both, either whether you were the viewer or the reader, you get to see a lot of, like, the relationships that uh, Aslan has Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. with pretty much everything. You get to see, like, you get to see the compassion, the mm. the the like, the compassion with all of Aslan's creations in Narnia. You get to see the the fun the fun and joking side with Lucy mm. and Susan, and Absolutely, yeah. and the fact that like, e- even in the computer animated, even like in the movie with the computer animation, um, when like when Aslan is being killed by Jadis the White Witch, he mm-hmm. like that is a very very sad lion. Whereas yeah. from the fe- from the extremely small sample that I have of Detroit Become Human, sure, there's not really a lot of em- maybe emphasis put on like those moments of human connection, and also you know it's it's a video game where you're trying to show humans and to de- and depending on what style you're going for, it can dip into Uncanny Valley sometimes just when you're animating humans in general. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think you definitely, like, nailed it. Where, like, like, Aslan is, like, I think it also helps that C.S. Lewis, who wrote Narnia, (laughs) was a devout Christian. (laughs) Yes, it, it, it also, that is also an extreme contributing factor. Like, it's just, like, insane how different it is when you, like, when a person is writing a Christ allegory and, mm-hmm. like, like has a really deep connection with God and, like, has a really, like, special um, place in their heart where they know, like, like, what 
like Jesus's story means to like the whole of humanity and how it touches people that lets him write a character that can like embody that Mm -hmm. when you're instead when you're like David Cage and like just like oh this is a thing this is like a literary trope Mm -hmm. that I could throw into this like it's just so like soulless Mm -hmm. and it's 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 writing yeah. from experience versus writing from others' accounts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh fun fact, when I was uh looking up the uh the when I was trying to look up stuff about like the cast mm-hmm. of Detroit Become Human, like in reference to the characters, um it turns yeah. out that the name Marcus uh, in some variants can mean harvest, you know, kind oh. of a, hence adding to the, uh, adding to, you know, like the, oh, hello, yes, like, I am literally just here to be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. I am, I am the harvest that will feed my people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not that Jesus ever said that, I'm pretty sure, but, you know. Sure, yeah. Like, I, that's, that's part of, you just reminded me of part of Marcus's story that's really important, is that, um, like, so all three of the arcs, there are choices you can make that the character dies mm-hmm. and their arc just doesn't really continue. Like you see the side characters in their plot, but continue forward, but you don't actually get to play any of it. But the only character that I've seen in like most playthroughs die and people not go back to like try and save him mm-hmm. is Marcus because he can die super early in the game. Like halfway through the game, he can die and everyone else continues and like the way that he dies is that um he's leading this like revolution and um you can choose for it to be a peaceful revolution or a violent revolution um and but either way it escalates to um like there's a like you know like uh armed uh policemen and like and they've got like armor on and like big guns and everything and uh if you make the right or wrong decisions, depending on what you're trying to do, I guess. Um, Marcus will sacrifice himself for all of the other androids. Okay. So that they can get away. (laughs) Um, And it's just, like, it comes as such a shock when it happens. Like, I was watching, I think, the Super Best Friends play. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the playthrough that I uh, am most familiar with, where it's, like... There's no, like, lead up to the fact that it's like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice myself for everybody. Like, that's not really the decision you make. It's just like, oh, I happened to say, like, oh, he should stay in this place. And then I told him to move. And now he's dead. And, like, it was, like, it's this big, like, meaningful scene. But, Mm -hmm. like, there was not a lot of, like, meaningful leading up to it. It's done very inelegantly. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Which is what you could say about most of david cage's games <laughs> oh gosh yeah i feel like i'm just kind of saying like oh this is what david cage did and it was bad but i don't know it just yeah there's just something about uh i guess like what it meant to me is like it just kind of showed what um understanding that story can like really do for not just a narrative for like but for the people who were writing it i guess like Mm -hmm. especially comparing him to like c.s lewis 
like the fact that he like just not understanding the story immediately makes it so soulless but like being able to say like i know that god is like a father to me i know he's funny and i know he has like he's scary and i know that like i just know all these different aspects of him i feel like it could have really made marcus's story super interesting Mm -hmm. but just without that it didn't didn't really didn't really do that did it Mm -hmm. so like what happens after like what happens if marcus like survives this interaction with the police or the or if you want to go into the Christ allegory the with the Jewish uh, populace of Jerusalem. <laughs> right, yeah. So um, if Marcus survives, let me make sure that I'm getting the timeline right here. Yeah, go for it. Um, so if he survives, um, there becomes kind of this rift um, between his followers. Uh, he's So there's like three main person three three um people in jericho that are kind of his like uh right hand people they have uh north who is this um she's like a female android who is the advocate for um a violent revolution okay uh there's josh who is uh the he's a dude and he's uh advocating for a peaceful revolution and then there's simon who probably dies before any of this happens. <laughs> okay. Um, and so after um, the whole thing, if he survives, um, if he survives, a bunch of androids die. Um, and so North and Josh have very different um, like reactions to that and how they should move forward from that. Mm-hmm. North saying that like we should go avenge them, like we need to plan another attack like right now. Um, and Josh saying that, like, this was tragic and it shouldn't have happened and we never should have, like, done the revolution like that in the first place. And we just need to proceed peacefully or else nobody is going to take us seriously or listen to us. Um, that sort of thing. Uh, and, like, what kind of frustrates me about um, Marcus's story is that, like, those two options are, like, presented to you. But if you choose the nonviolent options like you just don't get a good ending mm-hmm. <laughs> like people die or the revolution doesn't like succeed as well as it could have or whatever yeah. like if you want to get the full experience of marcus's storyline you have to pick the violent route mm, yeah yeah <laughs> that says a lot of things about the about the process of really conducting any kind of uh resistant effort to pretty much anything mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah, at least it's... or at least the writer's opinions mm-hmm. on any kind of resistance <laughs> yeah it's especially because it was written by david cage who is a white man who has not experienced any sort of adversity like this mm-hmm. like it's so <laughs> it's like why are you taking the most nonviolent man in history and like trying to like oh, I'm talking about like Jesus and take his story and put it into this character when this character has to be violent mm-hmm. <laughs> to really make the right decisions and then like it's just <laughs> it's so disappointing and then like that 
again, reflecting on, like, his perception of, like, the civil rights movement and, like, how he perceives, like, any sort of resistance. Like, it's, ugh. Mm-hmm. Very bad. And this game gives a lot of, like, insight into <laughs> David Cage's psyche, I feel like, and I don't like it. I don't okay. want to see it. <laughs> uh, maybe then we can dive out of that with what happens with, um, what happens, like, after uh, Marcus's narrative is considered over if, like, he sacrifices himself for the sake of his followers. Is it like a, is this like, um, like a purification wave thingy where like, oh, he died and so his essence releases into every android who is now all sentient? <laughs> oh, woof. Yeah, no, it's not like that, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> that might be, <laughs> well, fortunately, yeah, I don't know. But, um, like, so basically if Marcus dies, um, you experience, uh, like North and Josh's storyline through just, like, a series of short cutscenes where, like, they're trying to keep leading the revolution, um, but it's just uh, more difficult Mm -hmm. because they don't have, like, a leader to rally around. Yeah. But um, I think at the same time, because, like, he is a, um, what's, a martyr? Yeah. Because he's a martyr, um, like, they do end up, like, becoming, like, a more violent revolution, I think, and, um... Oh, goodness. I can't entirely remember how that, like, gets resolved. Because mm-hmm. the, <laughs> the uh, um, wiki page of his, like, story is uh, hard <laughs> to <Yeah>. read. <laughs> I was curious. So I was uh, looking into other games that uh, David Cage has made. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is that he's made a game called Beyond Two Souls. <laughs> yeah and it's marketed as an interactive film rather than a game which is great yeah that's that's i think that's been a review for a lot of david cage's games okay just that it's like 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 so like the gameplay of most of it is like there's a, a long cut scene you're like watching the characters do things um and then there's like quick time events where you have to like hit a specific button or like rotate the like joystick in a specific way to um like complete tasks that they have to do so like if there's a fight you have to like hit circle to punch the guy and like you have to do it like within a certain amount of time that sort of thing um and so there's like some parts where you actually get to control the character but like a lot of it's just kind of like a cutscene that you're watching and sometimes you press some buttons Mm -hmm. yep i feel like there's a lot of layers to unpack here there's a lot of layers. Oof. Yeah. I wish I knew more about other David Cage games so I can make this whole episode about that. <laughs> mm. I, I feel like the I'm, I I feel like if we wanted to talk about David Cage specifically, this would just become a, a ragging yeah a, a ragging negative cast and yeah no that's we true. prefer to keep it more positive. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, I think I have been kind of negative. I mean. I don't think you've necessarily been negative. You've been critical, but not necessarily negative. Okay, that's good. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, from from my outsider's perspective, I don't really have a lot to add to this. Just like that's fair. Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna try and uh, if 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 you are listening, if, if some <laughs> if some one of you listeners is wanting to make some kind of a christ parallel or do some kind of a chosen one narrative 
you don't have to hit every beat beat by beat. You can you can just pull broad strokes, and sometimes that works a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the the important thing is when you're making narratives like that is that like you have to be able to have the like you have to be able to show the human connections or even mm-hmm. not necessarily human like. But uh, when you if you want to do that like, make sure that you have that you can like show the connections and like really like hit the emotional points because like mm-hmm. when it comes to chosen one narratives or like even looking at directly uh, the story of Jesus Christ, a lot of the impact is when people can make emotional connections to things. Mm-hmm. And when a, when a narrative lacks those emotional connections, like it sounds like Detroit Become Human uh, excels mm-hmm. in, um, <laughs> a lot of the story beats that you want to tell will just fall flat because there's there's no connection there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I think it's, like, there's, like, a certain expectation once you start setting up that narrative mm-hmm. that if you don't, if you can't fulfill them, it falls super flat. Yeah. I feel, yeah, I like this podcast because I feel like I'm learning a lot about just, like, how to tell stories well. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of just, like, a sub category of what we're talking about yeah, and I, I, I like it it's fun i mean part of that is because we are both uh we are both creators and so <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that plays a big part in us uh really really taking in any kind of media mm-hmm. yeah for sure <laughs> uh, yeah it's hard to like consume anything nowadays and be and without being like it's like oh how would i have done that or like what if i did the same thing how would that work out mm-hmm. or something like that it's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's uh I mean I'm I have the Wikipedia plot summary of just the whole game at large. Mm-hmm. And I I I wonder like I mean looking at the other narrative um for Connor, the one that you said that most people tend to connect to and stay interested yeah. in, it's essentially um the story of uh, someone who works with law enforcement um, and is given the choice to uh, either rebel or to uh, stay working with the with the law enforcement, uh, mm-hmm. and his uh, his narrative apparently culminates in uh, either joining in either uh, joining Marcus's. I think it's probably fair to say crusade. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, for sure. And helping the other androids that he encounters to find uh to find selfhood. Mm-hmm. And if he stays with the law enforcement, then he kills then he uh kills Marcus apparently. Yeah. And I think it probably says a lot about the way that this game is written that when there when there is an option to either uh to either play as like a character who's main purpose in the story is to help save people or to play as the as the cop who go, who either goes rogue or takes out the takes out the quote unquote bad guys mm-hmm. that a lot of people are going for the for the cop narrative because they can't relate to the Christ allegory. Right, yeah. Yeah. It yeah, I think like what 
is different about like Connor's whole narrative is like that there's a human being that like is with him in like every single chapter basically uh named Hank who I'm sure you've read about a little bit in your just cursory yeah, I skipped, Wikipedia I yeah so Hank is a human being and he's mm-hmm. yeah it's really the only storyline that has that like human connection there the entire mm-hmm. time and like even if you do play uh Connor as like a stone cold machine or whatever like it's still funny and it's still like you can still connect to him in a way mm-hmm. because Hank is there to play off of him and like because there's that there yeah. there is that human to connect to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah exactly <laughs> if i were uh, yeah. if i were making this detroit become human game i would i would argue that like i mean i don't i don't know how long this game actually takes to play but mm-hmm. if i were making it i would personally like put a lot more like little moments into like mm-hmm. the various androids like reaching personhood reaching selfhood like, oh, yeah. have a moment of, like, oh, like, this is me showing compassion. This is this is me yeah. showing compassion to others. It's maybe outside of my, quote, programming, unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, like, this is, like, this is me surprising people who were expecting me to do the logical thing or whatever. And just to show those deviances from expected behavior that are actually making them more and more human because then that will let the player really connect to them as opposed Mm -hmm. to just oh they have they have fun comedy chemistry with another with an actual human being right yeah like they get to do a whole bunch of shoot 'em ups yeah (laughs) it's definitely like um oh what was my thought there i just had one um with going back to that one scene um, with Marcus, like, uh, you know, gesturing out to the um, androids to, like, bring them into his, like, mm-hmm. following, like, it's something about that scene that just, like, even if you're not super attuned to the Christ allegory or, like, not thinking about that, just doesn't make a lot of sense because, like, the three main characters, have you saw them, like, physically like in the game to represent it like they're breaking through this like wall that's stopping like somebody would like order them to do something and it's them breaking through that order Mm -hmm. that lets them turn deviant but when marcus just like flips a switch in their brain he's just like no you're disappearing the wall there's no struggle there right and like so instead of like it's like even like sure maybe cinematically that scene looks really cool Mm -hmm. but to show like marcus maybe giving like another speech or something and like somehow inspiring androids to think for themselves mm-hmm. without like and come to that conclusion themselves instead of because like what it comes across mm-hmm. as is like marcus like instead of like oh you would obey them oh now you obey me mm-hmm. like that was the switch that got flipped instead of like them actually coming to their own yeah personhood i i had two thoughts one of which was that a lot of this reminds me of um from the bible the various stories of like Jesus healing the sick and the infirm and the mm. possessed and mm. things, which was, which, which as portrayed in the Bible is always in there. It's always portrayed in the sense of like Jesus reaching out to help people mm-hmm. on an mm-hmm. individual level rather than just the the broad sweeping gestures of hello, I have turned off the authority switch in your brains, right? Yeah, uh, and the and actually no, I had three thoughts. 
Uh, <laughs> the, the second thought was that if was that if the game had chosen to portray, like you mentioned, having that having the various androids like achieve selfhood by listening to Marcus. If you really mm-hmm. wanted to key into the Christ imagery, you could have had them like be like do like a panning crowd shot or something, and like as they as they attain personhood or whatever, you could have like had like their eyes flash or something, or have like if you wanted to get real heavy handed, you could have had them <laughs> like had like sparks or something shoot out of their head, like the flames of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, <laughs> or like make them have. Or make them like shoot off an energy halo, like an actual angelic or divine halo. Right. Yeah. Like uh, before you get to your third thought or whatever. Um, it's a very short there, thought. Yeah, that's okay. But there, there actually there is like a slight indicator of like when they go deviant mm-hmm. is that they all have these little lights in the side of their head um, that are like blue when they're just like natural, like normal um, yellow when they're thinking and red uh, if there's like a danger um, or when they go deviant. Okay. Um, so like this tiny little like light on their forehead will switch red when they turn deviant. Um, but it it's not that powerful really because it definitely yeah. just seems like it's like, oh, I turned this light red. Mm-hmm. That's all that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My last thought was that the uh, the whole imagery of them walking through the streets of of whatever city they're in, I guess Detroit, Detroit. obviously, yeah. <laughs> uh, as they walk through the streets, that reminds me of nothing presented entirely out of context. That reminds me of nothing as much as the musical number uh, "Prepare Ye" from the musical Godspell. <laughs> Where, you know, like, everyone's, like, walking around, like, prepare the way of the Lord. And it's, like, this super big, cheesy dance number. And I know I was just singing off key. I haven't seen the musical in years. Don't at me. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I can totally see that, for sure. Yeah. I mean, in tone, it's probably more along the lines of Jesus Christ Superstar. But I don't remember if they have a number like that in Jesus Christ Superstar. You know, I have never seen Jesus Christ Superstar. Really? Or listened to it. I really should. It's it's interesting. We could probably do an episode about that at some point. Yeah, we should. I feel like we should. Yeah. Yeah. I know a bunch of people who were in it, like my dad, I think, wore the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And... Oh, that's that's Joseph. That's a different one. Yeah, that's Joseph from the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Because <laughs> Christian theater. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's a, we should talk about any of that, though. I'll put that on the list, too. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, uh, how much more discussion there can be generated by this. I guess, like, long story short, David Cage did it bad, but you, the listener, could do it better. The end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's probably a pretty good place to end it. Yeah. <laughs> Faithful is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pippa, and other places uh, wherever podcasts are found or listened to, I guess. Uh, Our theme music (laughs) is Start of Something Beautiful, courtesy of Ketza. We can be reached through an email at faithfulpod at gmail.com or through our Twitter at faithfulpods. Uh, And as always, uh, and because we are a podcast and... Uh, we don't have any kind of advertising budget. The best way uh, to get more people involved and to bring our show to a wider audience is 
if you rate, review us wherever you're listening, if you can leave a review, and more importantly, recommend us to a friend or two. Uh, we're we're hoping to keep the show uh, mostly in mostly enjoyable and hopefully extremely listenable. Uh, <laughs> so I guess just keep that in mind. And uh, we don't have a sign off yet. Uh, no, uh, we don't. No, but we don't. Uh, I do want to say. Uh, yeah, shoot. If you have, like, a favorite Christ allegory in, like, media or, like, uh, something that you were thinking of when you listened to this, go ahead and shoot us an email about it. I would love to read that. Um, And then uh, if you rate us on, like, iTunes or somewhere where we can see it, uh, I would also love to, like, read those five-star reviews. That's a thing that podcasts do. I would absolutely love to do that. (laughs) I'll say whatever you write in that. Yeah. box as long as it doesn't swear because this isn't one of those podcasts <laughs> so yeah hit us up um a couple of months ago uh tanner suggested uh tanner suggested a sign up for us uh courtesy of uh oh or did they yeah uh tanner suggested one courtesy of um my favorite murder um at some point uh they they joked about having their sign-off be stay saved, do God's missions. <laughs> I love that. Okay, uh, so um, I guess uh, we'll see you next, or you'll hear us next time everyone, stay saved, do God's missions. Yeah. Help us come up with an original catchphrase. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Wonderful. That's with two L's, but you knew that because you already found us and you're listening to it. This is Emma. This is faithful. This isn't wonderful. Oh no! Shoot, <laughs> we're not stealing Griffin and Rachel's got- podcast. <laughs> I've gotten like eight notifications from them on Twitter recently. Off to a my great head. start. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, at least now we have our outro bumper. <laughs> <laughs>